Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cool Podcast. My name is Michael Bath, and this is Owner Stories Day today. Owner Stories number 70. If you haven't been here before, welcome. Uh, Owner Stories is the is the part of the podcast, the Tuesday's episode of the podcast for most people in the world. Um, there's Tuesday's and Friday's episode. Tuesday's episode, Owner Stories, where I get to chat to other Porsche owners around the world. And Friday's episode, where Steve, my mate and I, uh, chat about all things Porsche. Steve's got a 997 GT3. If you haven't listened to that episode before, you should go and uh, at least have a listen to a couple of Friday's episodes. They're, they're good fun. All right, so I'm going to connect by Zoom. All these uh, owner stories are done through Zoom, of course. I'm going to by, connect by Zoom, get witty, and we're going to start talking uh, about his Porsche Gould owner story. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Porsche Gould podcast, and welcome back to owner stories. Like I said, this is number 70 today, and we've got a good one. We've got uh, two cars, which I know a lot of people are, are searching out now, um, because they used to be the, and you would have seen in the title what um, Witty has, and I'll introduce him in a second, um, two cars which people have been sorting out because of the price. I mean, I think that's long gone, and we'll talk about that. Um, and I did say Witty, but it's actually Al. Al uses Witty on all his uh, on his social media. But Al, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming on Owner Stories. No, fantastic to be here. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, Al's got a good setup. He's got his proper microphone. He's a professional at this. He does podcasts. He does uh, YouTube. What's your podcast called, Al? Yeah, so it's, everything is under Witty nine two four. So if you do the old Google search, uh, yeah, you'll you'll get a whole host of things from podcasts and videos, comments, and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, try to, try to share the uh, the passion that I have for it, yeah. Fantastic. So that's Witty924. I'll just mention that again. I'll mention it during the podcast so you guys don't forget, but it's at Witty924. Go and have a look at Al's Instagram while we're chatting now so you can see the cars we're talking about. Um, and Al's been document, documenting his journey on both cars or one car? Both cars. Yeah, I, I think it, it, for me, it really started on the 924. And the, the background to it really was that I wanted to have more of a hands-on experience with Porsche. And uh, the 924 gave me like the platform one to get my hands dirty Yeah. With, without the backdrop of feeling like I'm going to destroy something and <laughs> loads of money. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. That sounds like a good plan. Let's get yeah. into that. Before we go there, let's let's go back to the very beginning, Al. Let's go back to where it all where it all began. Um, and we've spoken about this on to every owner from the previous sixty nine owner stories about where it all began. Like those first memories of seeing a nine eleven or a Porsche or or those first memories of being in one. Um, tell the listeners how it all began for you and when you first started noticing uh, Porsche. Yeah, so I grew up in the age of the poster. You know, the I guess the posters on the wall where the three sort of iconic cars were you know the Porsche Turbo in the guards red we had the Lamborghini Countach in the white and then the Ferrari Testarossa so it was very sort of embedded in the day-to-day talking amongst friends about these amazing cars that were sort of out of reach you know they, yeah. they were there on your wall and, and so on um, as I sort of grew up and became you know, uh, attached to the workforce, I guess. Um, I, you know, my first roles were in in the motor industry itself. So uh, one of the first highlights for me as I sort of discovered the motor industry in a more sort of detailed way was that um, my first touch base was with Audi. And uh, interestingly, it was the, I, I guess, the, the birth of the RS2, 
Oh, okay. And, um, you know, if, if many of your listeners are familiar with that, that story, it was really uh, the moment that sort of Porsche and Audi came together and created some magic. And, uh, you know, they borrowed pieces from 964s and, uh, you know, the 993s and, uh, you know, this, this RS2, uh, I guess, beast became uh, a legend that it is today. I think it was only about 2,700 odd units that were ever produced. Uh, so a, a really iconic car. And I've, I remember vividly back then, and maybe one of your listeners could keep me honest on this. I remember that there was an advert created by Audi that right. whether or not it was um, banned or it was just shown as a, this is what we would like to do. I cannot remember, but maybe again, like one of your listeners might know this. There was um, a sort of a business guy who was rushing around his his property, and it looked like he was like late for work. And he opened the garage, and one there was a nine one one, and the other one was an RS two. And he took the keys to the RS two okay. with, with the statement saying, "I'm late for work." Oh, really? <laughs> that's a great which idea. Yeah, which would have obviously upset Porsche hugely. So yeah. that's why I. I I cannot find it anywhere, but maybe, you know, maybe it was a crazy dream, but um, that, that was my first touch really sort of hands-on experience. As I joined the motor trade working with, with Audi, the RS2 um, was launched in sort of 94. So as I sort of came into it in 96, it was a very, you know, prominent figure of Audi, but equally the, the Porsche brand was, was very, um, you know, present there. So yeah, that, that was my sort of first hands-on experience of, of Porsche. So you're working for Audi. You're in the motor industry. You're getting. Yeah. You're obviously getting. You know, you're you're exposed to a lot of cars. You're exposed to a lot of things. If you're in the in the industry, right? And also in the UK, there's a lot of cars on the road. In the UK, you see a lot of different things. How does it all start then? Your your sort of car journey, so we can get into the Porsches. How does it start? You, you know, you're working yeah. for Audi. Do you own an Audi? Is that one of your first cars? Or? No. I mean, really, in in all honesty, like for us um, in the UK, I think the sort of bedrock of of cars were the the Vauxhalls and Fords of the time. Um, they really were the the sort of cars that everyone had, I guess. Certainly in the circles that I was in, and uh, you know, I, I think for, from my perspective initially, it was like fast forwards were the the things front and center. So yeah, you know, Cosworths and all of that good stuff, and uh, the, the sort of the Porsche brand sort of sat so much higher than than all of those and you know being able to get to that was sort of like that dream as i said on the poster before so yeah fast forwards fast voxels they were very uh, sort of front and center with with me growing up and uh, the the work that i did into the motor trade sort of opened my uh, i guess uh, opportunity to experience many different cars without yes. the cost because um you know, it's it's just sort of one of the perks if you work in the industry. <laughs> you, uh, you you sometimes get the chance to drive lots of different cars under the insurance of the company, and you know you don't have to spend too much money. And uh, yeah, you start to realise some of the the differences in the way things are built, so build qualities, you know, all of that good stuff. And uh, I became a big fan of the German brands, and uh, you know the VW Group uh, then was very prominent, had a fantastic uh, brand reputation. Uh, the Golf was very prominent against all of like the Fords and Vauxhalls of the time. And um, Audi, uh, certainly in the UK, was starting to, to really try and build this new brand image that uh, 
it, it wanted to take on with uh, the likes of Mercedes and BMW, who were sort of leading the way yes. for us in the UK. So that's where it sort of, yeah, all sort of came together. Yeah. It was similar with Audi in Australia, actually. I mean, I bought, I've, I've, had, I've actually owned two Audis, um, and the first one was just a, an A3 Turbo. And I bought that in 2000, and I bought it new. But at the time, it was the same sort of thing here in Australia. They weren't really selling as many as BMW. They weren't selling many as many as Merck. You know, they're trying to catch up. And then all of a sudden, it just it just exploded. I think by even 2005, Audi was just it was just saturated. It was just everywhere um, yeah. in Australia, anyway. So, what about the memorable cars for you, though? <clears throat> what about some of those cars that you have owned or driven that that still stick in your mind, yeah. apart from the Porsches? Yeah, no, I, I mean, as I was coming through sort of the ranks in, in the motor industry, uh, I, I remember getting the the opportunity to drive, uh, I, I guess, cars that you, you wouldn't necessarily put front of mind. So one car here was uh, a Nissan uh, Almira GTI, and uh, okay. it, it was sort of uh, born out of the great success that uh, Nissan had had with the Sunny GTI, which then became the Sunny GTR, which was a, a very iconic uh, car back from Nissan back in the day, which you know was very popular with the mods and uh, all of that good stuff. So I, I remember that being launched, and you know all the big car magazines at the time said, "Wow, this is a car that's going to take on like the the Volkswagen Golf," because that was like the pinnacle. The Golf GTI was the was the market to beat. Yes. Um, so I remember that being a very iconic car that I managed to get my hands on for, uh, you know, a, a number of months. <laughs> and as a young lad growing up, you know, that that was, uh, you know, just, you know, amazing. You'd never be able to afford that back in the day. So to just to have that access to these cars, to really understand, you know, what good feels like um, mm. in terms of handling and power and things that, and how they're put together. It was, it was a great foundation for me. Um, I found myself very quickly then thinking, well, I want to get more exposure to the more premium brands. And uh, that's where I sort of moved towards the direction, uh, I guess, of the Audis, the BMWs, the Mercedes. Um, and for me personally, um, away from sort of the work uh, side of things, I started, I guess, like many, certainly where I grew up, uh, exploring BMWs. So the 3 Series was like the staple entry point to to sort of the BMW brand at the time. And uh, yeah, from, from there, it, it was, you know, sort of cutting your teeth on how are these things put together? You know, you'd start tinkering around, just getting a feel for how things might uh, work and, and then ultimately doing some of the, you know, the jobs yourself rather than uh, relying maybe on garages to do it for you. So what, um, what were the years of the BMWs you were buying at the time? Were they the 90s ones or yes, were they the ones yes. that have now exploded in value? Yeah, so I, I remember, I remember again very vividly when I was in the trade. We had this uh, E30 that, if I remember rightly, was in a Java green, and it was like a bright metallic. Uh, it was a crazy color at the time. I remember it used to be parked outside the front garage. It was there for months, absolutely months. It was a convertible, fantastic. Right. When you think about it today. But at the time, no one wanted it. No one wanted <laughs> it. Yeah, I know. That's what I find bizarre now. Even in Australia, like you used to see them come up and no one wanted them. They were cheap yeah. as anything, especially the, especially the convertibles. And the convertibles yeah. now, you know, that, that flat tray top almost that they have, it's just such a fantastic shape, isn't it? You know, like it's, if you're going to buy a convertible, then you buy that BMW, was it 320i or whatever it is, you know, like that's, that's the one, yeah. 325i or 320i, that's the one you get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. 
It's crazy, and they, you couldn't you couldn't get rid of them. They couldn't get rid of them. Yeah, the the, the two fives. I, I think we changed the battery probably two two times in that because it just kept going flat because you know it never got drove. And uh, yeah, so that I, I remember like the E thirties was sort of the entry point, and then the E thirty sixes started coming. Sort of because they were mass mass produced, weren't they? The E thirty six. So there yeah. was a there was a little bit of. Uh, I, I remember again people were sort of questioning some of the quality back then, but it was because obviously the numbers were much higher than, than previous ones. But uh, those, those were the ones I sort of cut my teeth on originally, yeah, E30 and E36. Okay, so, you know, similar background to a lot of other owners, similar background to me, you know, you're growing up, you have posters on the wall, you see cars in the street, you see these cars like Porsche and even Audi and, you know, not so much Audi at the time, but for me it was like Porsche and BMW and, and Mercedes-Benz, you know, living in a country town and, and occasionally seeing these cars and thinking, how am I ever going to get something like that? So when do you start thinking? When do you start thinking, okay, it's time for me? And a lot of us, this happens a lot later in life. Um, for me, it did. <laughs> when yeah. do you start thinking, okay, it's, it's about time I can, I can try this Porsche thing and I can, I can get one and, and, and start, start that journey? When do you start thinking about it, with, uh, Al? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think in, in all honesty that the thought has always been there. You know, how, how do I get access? When do I get access? When's the right time? And you're not really sure when the right time is. And sometimes there is never a right time. You've got to sort of take the plunge. And uh, I guess that's that's sort of how I, I did it with uh, with the cars I have today. Um, I, I think um, the other driving force for me is I had moved from the south of, of England uh, to the, the big smoke, as we call it, towards London. I had uh, managed to to move up there with uh, Audi at the time. So I got exposed to far more of, of the Porsche brand as you came into to the London arena. And, you know, thinking back then, it, it was very common to to see all types of the the nine one ones, but equally there was there was still quite a lot of the transactional mm. uh, family, like uh, being used. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, where today they might be a bit more cherished. Um, a lot of those were sort of out and about, and uh, you know there were there were normal sites on the roads. So, I, you know that that was a sort of um, I, I guess a you know a push in the back to say, okay, how are we going to get this? How are we going to move there? And it, it does come down to costs, you know, it, it does come down yeah. to how, how you might uh, be able to finance these things. What type of finance are you prepared to do? Or are you going to try and save your, you know, your pennies and, and go all in? So, yeah, I think for, for me, you know, that journey was a, was a long time. Um, as you say, many owners, I, I guess, enter into to the brand a, a little later in life. And, and that was for me as well, you know, and, uh, and when I did, I went all in and, you know, I bought two. <laughs> so okay. Was, let's, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> the let's, uh, let's start with the first one. Let's start at the very, let's start at the beginning. It's the transaxle, right? The transaxle was the first one. Yeah. So it's the 924. I'm a, I'm a great, um, uh, for, for me, I love great stories and, and the 924 represents, I think one of the most iconic stories for Porsche. And I'm sure lots of listeners are going, oh my God, really? Can somebody saying iconic? <laughs> Line to the 924. Yeah, it, it is because I think you, you go back and you look at that amazing time in the 70s where things, you know, with oil crisis were very difficult and Porsche put all this effort into doing something that VW wanted. Yeah. And it sort of all went pear shaped. 
And out of something becoming very difficult, actually spawned something that really, I think, took Porsche on, on the road to, to where it was, you know, and, and is today. And, uh, it, you know, it's a fabulous story. If you've not actually sort of looked at the, the 924 story, it just you know, everything about it from the parts that they used, uh, from the engine that's used. And, and, uh, and I know, you know, a lot of people be throwing the engine sort of story in there. The actual engine is one of the most fascinating parts of the 924 story because many might not know that the engine was originally designed by Mercedes when Daimler owned Audi uh, way back in the, in the 50s and right. uh, for about six or seven years when they put all this this money into it okay uh, they, they didn't see the benefits and and then the vw group sort of grabbed it and, and bought it all and then you know the the 924 story continues but uh i i just i was very inspired by the story of of how the new sort of the 924 came to to fruition and and, and came into the world and uh was uh one of their their best-selling cars to date, um, you know, 120,000 units or so. Yeah, and it's uh, terrible, you know, it's terrible, Al. Like, I, I actually don't know much about the 924 story. You know what I mean? In fact, yeah. the most I know is probably from speaking to transaxle owners who have been on owner stories, and there's been, you know, there's been a few who have yeah. been on, on the owner stories. So I didn't know the story about the engine. That's the first time I've heard that. I didn't know about that. What, what else is another unique thing about the 924 that other people may not know, other, the listeners may not know? Well, I mean, when when you think that when it originally was born, the the engine, I don't know, seventy horsepower. The one I've got is the two liter. This is the one that, that I, I feel is the most iconic. Um, others might say the two point five and the, and the three liter versions because that was sort of Porsche inspired and and driven. I still think the two liter was uh, the, the most iconic, really, because. It also ended up being the Le Mans racing engine. Uh, right. Admittedly, most of it was stripped away, but the block itself uh, stayed. And you think that when that engine started out at seventy horsepower, one hundred and twenty-five horsepower in my engine, you know, my variant, um, that increased to three hundred and fifty horsepower for the Le Mans racer. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's just insane when you think yeah. back then yeah. how much they were getting out of such a. Uh, a small block at the time uh, it was just amazing and, and you know the Le Mans race was history in itself so it's um it's just a fabulous story from the, the way it came about from from something that was very uh, almost you know dead in the water to something that really then became a 10-year amazing story to the 80s that then gave you know the sort of foundational footings for the 944 and the 968 afterwards so really is a, a truly like Iconic sort of brand, you know, brand of uh, of car from Porsche. I I believe uh, really does deserve its place in history. Yeah. So how did you how did you come across your car? Did you did it take you a while? Because you obviously knew which one you wanted. You wanted that that nine two four. You right. You wanted the the first one. Yeah. How yeah. did you go about finding one in the UK? Was there a lot? Of, I'm I'm guessing there was a lot in the UK. Um, yeah. I, but was it, there many that were worthwhile buying? That's a, that's the yeah. question. Yeah, that's the that's the really big piece. You know, I, I've done a, a a bit on this on one of my podcasts. You know, how much sort of time, effort, and and uh, money you're prepared to put into something really should steer how you find a nine two four because many were used to, I, I guess, to their end of their life, and uh, you know, many 
sort of came off the roads, probably stored in barns and still haven't been found today. You know, that that's just the, the nature of, of how the 924s sort of were used. And uh, so when I went about it, I, I wanted something that I could restore myself, that I could spend time and effort learning and developing and doing things all, all myself, um, which meant that I wanted a car that had a pretty solid foundation what I didn't want is, you know, chassis um, falling to pieces, major rust that was going to cause me, you know, all sorts of nightmares where you'd have to strip it down to nuts and bolts. Um, thankfully, many of the 924s later on were galvanized uh, at bottom. So if you if you look, um, most survive quite well um, if okay. they've had half decent lives. Um, so when I was looking for one, I was very particular about the color as well. Um, I got mine in Copenhagen blue. Many of the, the era were either whites or reds. Um, there are some other sort of funky colors that it was launched. I think it was an original, it was uh, the, the concept car was in orange. So wow. uh, true, to, true to, to Porsche's sort of, uh, you know, loud, leery colors that they like to launch in. So from that perspective, um, I found one, uh, bizarrely, just sort of out of sheer luck, uh, that was probably about a 25, 30 mile drive for me. And, um, went up and saw it, the, the value at the time, when I think about, you know, it's 2017, I got mine. Okay. And five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, the values are just, I mean, that's another crazy sort of part of Porsche anyway, but, uh, yeah, I, I saw, I found it, and the owner was, you know, great. Had it for a few years, um, done general, you know, decent upkeep with a with a local garage. Amazingly, the history he had was what really sold it for me. So I've got the the second purchase invoice with the owner's name, details, with the garage that no longer exists. Right. For the purchase price, nineteen eighty seven for nine thousand seven hundred pounds. <laughs> really. Yeah, and, and I've just got all of this history. And um, one of the first things I did was with uh, the Porsche uh, UK Club is uh, you, as you become a member of them, you can get the certificate of authenticity. Okay. And um, that's what I did. So got that all validated for the build slots, what the car came with, the trim levels and all of that good stuff. So it's got a fantastic history with the car. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really been a, a fantastic car to work on in the last sort of you know, four or five years. And it was quite local to you, was it, Al? Yeah. It's a really cool color, though. And I just want to tell the listeners again to go to your Instagram at Weedy924 and have a look because it is a really interesting color. It almost looks... In, in the first image, the last image you put on, it almost looks black. You can see it's blue, though. Um, but it's a really nice color, especially with the interior and everything like that. Before we get further into the car, just tell the listeners exactly what you bought. You said it was an 87. Yeah, so it's – it's so it, no, so 87 is the receipt I've got from the, the second. Oh, okay. Oh, the car's a 1984 Porsche 924, 2-litre. Two uh, some call it an NA, some call it a Lux, depending on, <laughs> on who, you, who you speak to. Um, but it's the 125 brake horsepower European uh, spec version. So, yeah, I think the, the US was about a hundred and five, maybe a hundred. I can't remember off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the version. It, it's Copenhagen blue, which I've kept the original color when, when we sprayed the car. And the interior, which is sort of the bane of my life, because it comes with uh, an interior color called gray beige Porsche. I think it's Porsche um, scribe or inscribe, they call it. 
which has got the Porsche logos that run across the material. Oh, I love that the, seat. Yeah, the, the center of the seat and the bolster. So it's got leatherette bolsters with the with the cloth interior in, in the middle. So I'm I'm in that really uh, crazy predicament right now where my back seats are in fantastic condition, but both the driver and passenger seats have got those classic splits between the leatherette and the material. Right. You can um, you can go down the route of authenticity and keeping it original as the, as it left the factory, but knowing that that material is very hard to find now, if at all, is is if there's any left, um, and then take the the plunge of whether you reholster the you know the whole sort of interior or leave it as is. So that's where I am with that journey with the interior right now. Yeah. Wow, I have seen that fabric appear somewhere. I can't remember whose um whose Instagram was it. Maybe it was um. Classic FX in the UK. Maybe it was Gary at Classic FX. I think I saw it on one of his Instagram posts, but I don't know whether it's available. But I'm guessing it would be expensive because there's not that much left. Do people reproduce those that fabric? Do people are making copies of the Porsche fabric or not? I would love if if someone out there knows of someone because I have searched um, so many places in the UK, even into Germany. Um, I was told by one great supplier in, in Germany that it, you know that particular fabric, the grey beige they call it yes looks like light beige is uh they haven't seen it for several years okay um the, the dark because it came in black as well the black is um a, a bit more available i believe um the same material was used in the 944 as well so it, it's a shame i i don't know how many other owners are in this sort of predicament where they've got seats that have slightly split whether they you know take the plunge to move to all leather or you know just change the the color all together so um yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> it is a difficult one. So when you when you found the car, when you found the 924, it's local to you. I mean, you have you know what to look for, right? You knew what you had to go. You went and looked at this car. You obviously didn't get an inspection. You obviously checked it over yourself, did you? Is that what you did, Al? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the 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 classic things like rear main seal leaks, um just checking that uh, you know, most of the sort of the the nice thing obviously with with the those sort of cars in the eighties is you've got access to everything. You know, when you open the engine bay, you can climb in with the engine. There's so much space. So it's, it's <laughs> you know, being able to see, you know, where the wings are making sure that it hasn't been any accidents, the floors at the back, looking underneath at the rails, um, getting a feel for the, the suspension again, all of that good stuff. It, it's very simple stuff to work on and, and see and get access to. So overall, um, the, the thing I knew it had was a rear main seal seat, uh, leak, but that was fine because I sort of um, was prepared to, to do all the changes, you know, with the, the clutch and uh, the torque tube upgrade and everything that I wanted to do anyway. So, yeah, so I, I, I bought it knowing that it had a very strong history. The owner uh, currently had had it for a good sort of three or four years, had right. used um more than daily in, in some respects. So I, I knew it was a, a pretty solid base to start from, yeah. So does it have true mileage? Do you know what the, what the mileage was? was it yeah, true? I've got, yeah, I've got full true mileage, which is backed up by the DVLA in the UK and uh, all the MOT certificates right back to uh, 1987. Fantastic. <laughs> like, so what's the mileage up to now then? I've got 92,000 on it, yeah. Okay, that's not so bad, is it? No, For it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually really good. That's That's not very much at all. So you buy this car, you know, you know, you have to do a couple of things to it. You, you can work on it yourself, right? It's, it's your project. It's your project car. When you get the car home, 
you get the opportunity to drive it before you start working on it, right? You don't just start working on it straight away and start pulling it apart or you get to enjoy the car a bit first? Yeah, well, look, initially I thought, right, I want to sort of turn this into more of a, maybe a track type car or a a hill climb sprint. So the first thing I did is actually, uh, because I I have like a B license uh, for, for racing is I, I booked myself into Goodwood and I did a couple of uh, races at Goodwood. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know, right. So I just thought to myself, look, you, you, you're probably not going to know how bad this car is until you really put it through its paces. So why not put it through its paces on a, on a track? So that's what I did. It was, uh, they call it a sprint series. So you're not um, next to anyone, you know, where you can, you know, collide or anything. You, it's just you, the car and the track and you go for it and you get a time and, uh, you know, over a number of runs, you you get to, you know, hopefully increase your time because you get to know the track better and all of that good stuff. So overall, the car did really well, but I immediately knew that the suspension all needed working out. I knew that uh, some of the linkage in the in the gears, in the gear setup, uh, gear stick, which is, a, a again, it's a traditional failure point because the, the parts just wear over time. Right. So all of these things, I just knew immediately I, I need to go and uh, sort out. So it gave me a great uh, base from which to build, you know, so then you can start to build almost like a, I guess, a project plan of, of how much you want to spend and which bits you want to tackle first and, uh, you know, go from there. But I think that's a great way of doing it. You know what I mean? Like go to Goodwood, like you said, you could you have that opportunity and you get to know the car, you know what has to be done. You know what I mean? Like you, instead of just going in and just, just restoring the car, I guess it's like when people buy, you know, other people and other podcasts, when they buy Ferraris or whatever and they take it, you know, they're said to drive it before you take it in and get all the services done. So it just sort of drives a bit if it's been sitting, if a car's been sitting for a long time and just get to just get to know the car and just get the car to sort of be running for a while before it actually, um, before it gets all the work done. Were there any surprises when you started, let's say, pulling apart, but let's say when you started doing your project car, the 924, were there any surprises of things that you found that you thought, okay, this is this is a hard one to tackle, this is going to be a, a challenge? Yeah, I, th- I think with any old car, I mean, certainly the classic cars, you, you start to find um, a selection of words that you use when you face bolts and nuts that don't undo. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know it, it becomes sort of the bane of your life because you know that, and this is this is the other thing about working on a car yourself is you'll sit there with a toolkit and you think okay this this is going to be good enough and then you realize pretty quickly that actually I probably need a, a bunch of other tools that I don't have and again this is this is the whole sort of dilemma of how much you prepare to do yourself and how much you you know sort of going to go to a garage so I, I took I took the plunge and I started buying tools you know things that would cut bolts off uh and, and just getting sort of deeper and deeper into it because you, you will inevitably come across bolts and that's don't undo screws that have rounded out. And that's, that's the, the tough bit. And then learning really to rethread things as well, because when you're having to take um, some of these things apart that probably haven't been apart since the factory, that's how crazy it is. Yeah. Some of these just haven't. And uh, when I took um, the, the sump off, um, I guess that's probably one of the challenges with this particular model. You have to take the suspension apart. You have to take the um, uh, the front sub uh, cross member off. Um, it gives you a great chance to to refurbish all this, but some of the nuts and bolts they never have come off. You know, there's no way they've been apart for 30 years. So 
that that for me was uh, yeah I, I guess the big surprise is thinking right I'm going to have to invest in tools I haven't got um, but equally I've got to learn some new skills to make sure that I can rethread stuff and, and put things back together in the right uh, order and also with the right talks and specs. And you've been documenting all of this on your channel, right? On your YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've tried so to. So people can go and look at that. That's it. Yeah. I've tried to make it as sort of accessible as, uh, as possible for people that might be in similar situations where they're like considering a 924 and they're in that sort of beginning mode of how, how deep do I go? And, uh, you know, it, it's there to help, you know, many of the, I guess, enthusiasts out there with a lot of the transactors thinking, okay, where, where do I start? And, you know, many, many will start with, okay, let's see if I can get the engine running. Cause you know, there, yeah. there might be quite a few out there that don't have that, uh, that, uh, you know, likelihood of, of an engine running. And, uh, they came with the original sort of, uh, K jets, uh, injection systems, which, you know, by nowadays, like a lot of garages just don't want to go near them. They're like, no, I don't, <laughs> don't want to touch it. Um, but actually, when you when you get to sort of work on these, you start to have a, a, a sort of, um, I guess, familiarity about all the little quirks around them and, and how easy you can sort of make things run. It's like I've had a number of great uh, people actually sort of contact me about, hey, I've got the car and I can't get it started. Like, what do you suggest? I've got fuel here. The pump's new. And like there's a little trick that right. I learned just it, which is you take off the airbox you put your hand in underneath uh, the air uh, flow meter and there's a little plate there that you just have to raise up. It's it's generally controlled by the, the pressure from the warm-up regulator. But you you lift it and that will force fuel through to your injectors. And okay. If presto, you can get an engine started. But it gives you – what that sort of thing does is it, gives, it starts to help you find some of the, the trouble parts that you have to sort of learn about uh, to, to get your engine running and uh, make sure the fuel system's running as it should be, yeah. So you've saved a lot of people with that information. I, well, I think, yeah. yeah. But it's hopefully. great though you're documenting though because 924s as we know, right, everyone, and we'll get into it because your other car is, is a 996, but, yeah. you know, everyone is, is looking at how to get into Porsche, you know. The more and more you dive deep into this community, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people listen to my podcast, and I'm sure watch your YouTube channel and, and listen to your podcast that haven't got one yet, that want one, and are trying to work out should it be a 996, should it be a 997, I don't have that much money now. And then they start to, they're starting to look at boxsters and they're starting to look at transaxles because price-wise they're still okay. So I think that's, you know, there's plenty of resources on 911s, but there's not that, is there that much on transaxles when you first started looking yourself? I mean, there's, there's a couple of great clubs, um, you know, in the UK. Um, some of the forums uh, are, are not too bad. Um, but I, I guess that's dependent on country as well, uh, depending on how, how many were either present and sold in the country and, and equally how many have survived where people have uh, sort of, you know, managed to, to keep yeah. these things uh, going. Um, I, I think um, initially f for me, you know, I tried to uh, source information and, and I found there was quite a lot of gaps around and, you know, whether it's in people's heads and then, you know, whether those people want to share it is, is always the, you know, the, the, the big question. Um and again, you know, if, if you're going to garages, unless you're sort of um, prepared to spend money at a Porsche dealership, you know, how many of the technicians there are still from, you know, a time when those cars were in play? Uh, potentially not that many. Um, the, the actual specialists who I, I've become sort of quite friendly with uh, down by me, 
the guy who set it up and run it sort of 20, 30 years ago, cut his teeth as a technician on the 94. So they, um, when I redid all the suspension on it, I I fitted gas coilovers on the front and uh, because it's a torsion bar at the back, you just have shocks. So you can set the the bounce back and all that on, on them. I, I took it down then to uh, get the whole car uh, realigned. So it's four wheel alignment. Um, and no, because no normal garages can do it because it's a special tool for the back, which is a centric bolt. Uh, but equally, no one wants to touch it. They're like, oh, no, no, I haven't seen it. That sort of thing. I don't want to get near this. I'm not right. interested. So thankfully, this specialist was like, yeah, bring it down. And they were all excited about seeing it because they're like, we haven't seen one of these in this condition for ages. Oh, that's great. And like they like loved you know, doing the four wheel alignment, spent probably a little bit too long on it, <laughs> but yeah. And then they took it out for a drive and all that. But it, you know that that's nice. You know, it, it's it's good that um, firstly, you know, there's there's a there are, there are pockets of of expertise that you you can find that are around. But uh, I definitely, you know, when I sort of started the journey, I thought if if this can help others. And you know, I'm not I'm not a master technician by any means. You know, I haven't been trained by Porsche, but uh, the, the the whole process of documenting what you might have to think about, what you go through, the tools that you might need, some of the problem areas you might uh, discover as you go through this. I've I've tried to to document both on the podcast and the and the YouTube uh, channel. Yeah. Are you also writing this down, Al? Are you? Is is this a new book that's going to come out? Witty nine two four. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's uh, the complete I mean, look, the complete nine two four guide. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely been um, at that point of time thinking, what's what's next, um, and and is it is it another nine two four, but is it something like the turbo? Yes. Amazingly, there's 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 the um, like like with all the Porsche uh, brands and different iterations that they come out with, they come out with these specialist. Uh, ones that are sort of the iconic part of of the number and uh, you know the 924 has that you know it has these uh, 400 GT or they call them the GT uh, 924s that were built primarily so Porsche could enter Le Mans yes and if you can find any of those I mean they're uh, stratospheric numbers in in price uh, as as sorry Al is the 924 the only one that was the GT was there? Was there? Was it? Was there? Wasn't a nine four four GT, right? It was just a nine two four GT. Oh, I don't know. Actually, that that's that's a good question. That's a because, good question. Because I have seen one, and I saw one, and I'm sure I'm not dreaming this. I saw one in Order House Hamilton, the, the specialist where I take my nine nine seven to here in Sydney, a while yeah. back, and I swear they had a It was a GT, and it was a transaxle, and for the life of me, it was, I remember it was red. And I can't remember if it was a 924. I'm guessing it must have been the 924. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that is that when the GT was sort of created in the GTS, because they had all the flared arches, it sort of gave birth to what the 944 was to become. Right. right. So it was sort of, again, the foundational makings. This is why I love the, the 924 yeah, story. Yeah. The, you know, the... the Sorry for interrupting. What what are the things though that you you know you you doing? You said you know the alignment. You had to get the guys to do it. You know they spend a lot of time on it. It Costs you more money when you when you're getting other specialists to do things. Are there any other things that you've had to say? Well, I, I have to put my hands up in the air. I've got to get someone else to fix it for me. I can't do it. No, I th- I think that that's it. I mean, I I had um, I, I actually there was one other thing, the torque tube. So within the torque tube, which joins the 
you know, the engine to the gearbox at the back of the car, the, um, the torque tube um, bar sits within uh, four roller bearings. And those bearings over time, like any bearings, can uh, start to, to whine or, or break down and, and noise. So I, um, I took the plunge and, and got those changed. But I asked actually someone that had um, sort of a, a bit of knowledge from a, I think they were running a, a racing team, if I remember rightly. Okay. I mean, it's a few years back now. And uh, they had a, a specialist way of just pulling out the, because otherwise you have to get like this long threaded bar. You have to do a load of cool stuff to basically extract the the bearings and then put the four bearings back in with the bar again. So I just, that just made sense to get a reconditioned one and they did all that for me. And then, you know, I just put it in the car um, when I was doing the other bits on the rear main seal and, and stuff like that. Right. And, and again, like with with the ninety four, it, it's certainly with the two liter engine because it's a non interference non interference engine. Excuse me. It, um, it it gives you a bit of peace of mind that you can be a little bit relaxed, knowing that you're probably not going to destroy anything to a point that you have to go and buy buy something new. <laughs> like okay. an engine. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That that was sort of the backdrop of when I looked at the car. I just thought, you know, that there's no way I can cause too much damage as I'm learning through this process. Yeah. So where are you doing all this work, Al? Is this in your in your you've got a, a garage big enough or are you doing it on your driveway? Where are you where are you yeah. doing all this work on the 924? Yeah, so this is the crazy thing. I have done it on the driveway uh <laughs> for the best part of three or four years. Um I, I've managed to to get it in a garage at the moment. So it, it's sort of dry and hibernating for the winter. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's where a lot a lot of the people who I, I've sort of got to know over the years of doing this. And then I say, are you still on the driveway? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm still on the driveway. Like, on jack stands and all that crazy stuff. Well, that's but, great. Um, that's a great part of the story. I thought yeah. you were still doing I thought you were doing it on the driveway. Yeah, that's a great part of the story. So you've got the 924 and you said to me before we started recording that, you know, you bought your other Porsche pretty soon after almost the same time. So let's, let's just get into the next one, the second yeah. one. And um, how did that come about? So yeah, I I think both purchases happen within three months, okay. and uh, again, I'm a I'm a sort of uh, maybe I'm a, a sort of believer in the underdog, and uh, the the reason being is that you know the nine two four was you know I guess for many is the underdog of of uh, the old transaxles, uh, excuse me, and uh, the nine one one that I have is the nine nine six, and you know we all know the the stories there, um, but equally the nine nine six with the Boxster at the time. You know, it was a big, it was a big milestone for Porsche, you know, creating a platform that, you know, supported both those cars in yes. their development production, saved them tons of money and made lots of money for the company. You know, that that's, it's a iconic part of the history. So I, um, as much as I, uh, liked the 996, the one I really wanted, um, as I was going into a bit more of a, an investment, uh, you know, in terms of, of money that you're putting into this, not to say the car's an investment, but actually the amount of money you're going to put in. I wanted something that uh, took me away from some of the documented challenges that we know that exist with the, with the 996. But equally, I wanted to have a little bit of the historic part of, uh, of Porsche. And that sort of guided me towards the the turbo um so the 996 turbo uh with the mezger engine uh we, yep. as we know it's you know the iconic part of what that car is and uh 
the the one I wanted to get, which again a little bit more rare, was the X50. So it was the power pack that they added to the car, uh, and the reason why it's so rare, certainly in the UK, it was like an eight and a half thousand pound option. Um, That's a lot. Time. So yeah, huge uh, amount on top of the the car, along with when you're adding all the other bits and pieces that you might want to spec your car. You know, suddenly these numbers rise up. So there isn't that many of them around um and it's also the way i think they finished the 996 certainly in the uk with uh, the, the the turbo s which came with the power pack as standard and then the upgraded carbon brakes and stuff that it got but uh, so that's that's the one i ended up with and again my my sort of uh, love of blue um sort of directed me to a car that was lippus blue right uh with, with the metropole blue interior um that has the full carbon pack as well. So I do have the the classic, um, and, and I'm sure again, your listeners will know, the carbon that runs underneath the front windscreen, which at the time caused a whole host of uh, challenges because the glue that was used um, would make the, the carbon come up from its uh, its position. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. People will know that if they had the carbon pack, it was one of those problem areas. Um, but it looks super smart when it... It looks... All- I'm looking at your... The, the car itself is fantastic. Your turbo is fantastic. Tell the listeners exactly though. What, so what exactly did you buy the year, the options that came with the car that you know of, apart from the X50? What what was what was included? And, and is, is it... A, yeah. It's a turbo or a tur- it's called a Turbo S? Yeah, this is this is the interesting thing because like the way they were registered, I think um, they called them uh, turbo Tiptronic S's. Okay. And again, the you know some of your listeners might be going, "Oh my God, it's a Tiptronic nightmare! It's not a manual." The the reason I did that uh, because I did a lot of research on this as well is that the the manuals I, I know can have a little. Uh, few hiccups right I, I i know that there's issues there the thing with the tektronic which i found fascinating is it's a gearbox that was actually developed by mercedes so if you go back it you know through that you you can see that uh, it comes from fantastic roots the the box itself i believe was also used in the mclaren slr merc um oh really different componentry inside so again people can keep me real on this but i i believe that's also where it's been used um and the box itself, if you really want to get into sort of modding uh, your, your 911 with a tip, the, the Merck community uh, with this particular gearbox have done some amazing uh, modifications to get superpower, uh, you know, from, from the box itself. But equally, um, paddle shifts, uh, different clutches between gears. It's fascinating what the Merck community have been doing it. But the, the reason I went with that is, is for, for two things. I... I think the turbo in in its guise has been doing what Tesla have become sort of famous for in the last few years. It's that straight line speed, the, yes. the 0 to 60 start, pushing you into the back of the seat and everyone just smiling with a big grin. And uh, that, from my perspective, is exactly what I wanted. I wanted that wow factor, uh, not just for me, but any one that I took in the car. And equally, I wanted like the, the classic sort of Porsche GT Cruiser. And uh, for me, I think the the turbo did that in spades. Uh, that's not to to write it off from a you know a car in corners because it can certainly handle itself you know very well. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But you know, as a as a sheer off the mark 
mm. traffic light type warrior. It, yeah, it was awesome. They're they're a great. The 996 Turbo is a great looking car. Um, Marco, who's been on Nona Stories before, uh, my friend in Sydney, has got a speed yellow 996 Turbo. His is manual. Um, but just seeing that, you know, for the first time when I came back to Sydney, you know, when I first saw it in December or whatever it was, it's just. It's just a beautiful car. And Speed Yellow, I never really appreciated Speed Yellow before until you're actually close up to it and you see it. And being six in the morning when we first started driving and seeing the changing color when the, when the sun's coming out of that car, it's a beautiful color. And I think your color as well, Lapis Blue, is one of those colors as well. It changes depending on the light, doesn't it, so much? It does. Yeah, um, it's, it's and super cool. The, the Tiptronic, though, you know, like I don't know where I've read that or I've watched something before, but I've actually heard that before, that the Tiptronic in the 996 Turbo, if you're looking for a 996 Turbo and you see one in Tiptronic and it's a little bit cheaper, which they normally still are, it's a pretty good alternative because the Tiptronic is not is pretty good in the 996 Turbo. Now, I don't know where I saw that. I can't remember. But it's exactly what you've been saying, that it was. Um, it, it is slightly, it is a good transmission. Yeah, I mean, look, I, the guy who had it before me, again, I've... Very fortunate. I've got an absolutely fabulous history on the car from, from when it's new. And the guy who had it before me actually traded it in and bought a Ferrari uh, 599. Um, why he left the Porsche brand, who knows? But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it really has got an amazing uh, sort of history. But equally, it's got some great little mods that uh, he did. So he put a full car graphic uh, exhaust system from headers all the way back wow, through. Very nice. Sounds superb. I mean, it gives sort of the the additional whistle of the the turbos as they spool up, um, which is a great sound. Yeah, and um, the, the car itself, I've I've got like the the list. I mean, it's a, a Tiptronic S. It had the wheel centers uh, with the full color Porsche crest. Would you believe it? You could you could spec those. Yeah. God knows how much they would have cost. But uh, top tinted windscreen. Remember all okay. the, the windscreens were good. Electric sunroof. Uh, the telephone module for PCM, it had uh, the CDC 4.6 uh, CD auto changer, six disc, carbon package, Porsche communication management, PCM, the power kit, which is the, the upgrade in the turbos and the intercoolers and stuff, uh, chrome plated stainless steel uh, tailpipes, aluminium colored instrument dials, Porsche crested embossed headrests carbon and aluminium tiptronic lever and handbrake so it was it was a good uh, a good uh, amount of uh, spec put on the car which was great whoever bought this car new really did option it fully <laughs> didn't they uh, i don't know whether where where it first where the first owner lived but obviously somewhere quite affluent with all those uh with all those options it, yeah it came from it was supplied by porsche uh in uh, east london actually. east london okay yeah. so back in uh, 2003 so 2003, so it's a 996.2, yeah? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so um, the, 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 the more uh, acceptable headlights, I guess, is the way. The more acceptable. Go. Hey, do you know what the actual price was of the car? Is there any documentation of what they paid for it new with all those options? Yeah, I've been searching for this because um, I, I wanted to try and get the original price list to to see that. Maybe, maybe um, you know, your, your listeners might have that, but... Um, I want to say it's probably around the late 80s, early 90s at the time. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking, around 100K, close to 100K, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big purchase for uh, 2003, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, th- and this sort of validates what an amazing purchase these cars are today uh, amongst you know, the, the brand itself and 
you know, some of the numbers that people are exchanging 911s for, the, the 996 really does, you know, represent a fantastic entry point to the 911 uh, overall. And uh, if, if you're lucky uh, to, to find a, a decent turbo with, you know, that, that type of engine, um, don't, don't be put off by the Tiptronic. It is epic fun. Like, mm. it's, you know, the, the guy also added uh, paddle shift on my steering, which was done by Porsche. Okay. Uh, didn't even know it was a, an option. Because it came, if you remember with the Tiptronics, it's like two little buttons. Yeah, it's on the, the buttons. Steering. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have the buttons, but behind the steering wheel, I've got two paddle shifts. Oh, bizarrely. really? And that was that was done by Porsche. So there is yeah. there is an yeah. option to change that wheel. Yeah. So it's it, it's like they've either changed the wheel or retrofitted it, but fabulously well. Like really, it, oh, that's it great. just looks so. Um, yeah, it looks perfect. I should take a picture and put it on the Instagram just so people can see it. But um, you should actually, yeah, because um, most people would think it'd be the buttons because they're all of them are the buttons, aren't they? That's it. Yeah, and they're they're nice aluminium ones as well, so they got a lovely feel. And uh, it was a, a pretty penny that the the guy paid for it. So you know he must have wanted it, and they weren't lovely. I mean, it's like it, it's it's funny. Obviously, nothing like today's PDKs. Or like that, <laughs> no. it's, it's sort of like you get the same sort of feel of changing gear. <laughs> So how many of the um, X50 package were there? How many in numbers? Oh, that, Michael, that is that is one question I've been trying to find an answer to for quite some time. Right. Um, as I say, it was such a it was such a big um, cost option that um, you know very few went that way. And if you if you look on uh, any of the sort of car sites for sale, there's there's always you know just a, a very small handful that are around. Um, so yeah, I really don't know. It, it's uh, like I say, as as they phased out the nine nine six, they made the sort of X fifty packer standard option uh, with the S, and then the just turbo gave S. them the brakes. Yeah, yeah. So and and, the, and we know the turbo S nine nine six was limited numbers as well. There wasn't very limited, though. very limited. Yeah. They they were in Australia as well, but not very many. Not very many. I think I've seen one come up. That's about it. You know, over the years when I've been looking. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a question about the uh, numbers. <clears throat> Greg at First Flat 6, Greg, I know you're listening, in the US, Greg always seems to have a lot of information about 996s, so maybe Greg can uh, can answer that question. Maybe fantastic. he has some information somewhere. <laughs> yeah, hey, what about, what about work on the 996? Is this, is this like a – this is not really a project car, though, this one, is it? You don't really – you're not doing the amount of work on the 996 as you're doing on the 924. No, and um, to be fair, the – the oil change and history, you know, and that basic stuff, I'm I'm comfortable keeping with the specialist just to keep it, uh, you know, with the right stuff. Um, things I am uh, tackling though, just to, you know, be open and honest, I guess, on whether you you think it's okay to do work on a, you know, a car like that, and you know, is it going to spoil the history? Are you worried about it? Um, things like spark uh, plug changes and coil packs. It's a little bit of work on these, I, I admit. You know, you have to take the rear bumper off, the lights have got to come out, the wheels mm. have got to come off, and uh, it's actually sat with me in the garage here next to me. Um, so I actually have a garage here to keep <laughs> dry to, to do that. Oh, fantastic. Um, but that's something I'm, I'm comfortable doing myself because, you know, that's, uh, you know, just take your time. You get to, to know your car a bit better as well. You know, when you take all that apart, you see where the engine's situated taking the intercoolers off and all that good stuff. And then uh, to, to be fair, the 996 has, a, I think, a, a great um, amount of content on YouTube for quite a lot of work that people might want to undertake themselves as well. So, 
again, depending on the history of your 996, it, it's it's whether you want to to sort of take that dive. Uh, I'm comfortable on this one just to do that, but uh, the other main bits I'll keep with the specialist. So the 996 Turbo has the Mezger engine, which you said, you know, the, the engine yeah. which went into the 997 as well, um, GT3s. What are the what are the common failures in the in the 996 Turbo? Are there common things that people, if, if someone's listening and they're thinking, okay, I saw a Tiptronic and now I'm tempted to get one after Al's told me how great it is, what should they be looking for? I mean, most people would get a PPI, I guess, but some people still don't. And when even when people get PPIs, failures still happen even when they're driving their car home or a week, a week later. So a PPI is no guarantee. But what are those... What are those things that you should look out for with the 996 Turbo, the common failure items? Are they similar to the the standard 996 uh, Carreras? No, and, and I think that's that's why I sort of went towards the Turbo as well because of the, I guess, the the solid history of the Mezger engine. Um, you, you don't have those common failure points that, you know, many will know that the 996, uh, you know, went through. Um, there is a... There is an interesting one actually about the coolant pipes yes. on the on the turbo, and it it tends to be more with those that are maybe asking a bit more of the engine, like on track days, and maybe they're you know doing more of those. Um, so I think there's a there's quite a well documented piece about getting your coolant pipes fitted. Um, I think it's with metal brackets. I can't remember the actual fix they do, but uh, that yes. is a that's a worthwhile thing doing um, because those can sometimes spring a leak if you're pushing the engine hard. Um, but other Let than me just that, interrupt for one second, Al. That that's an interesting one because I don't know whether you've heard the episode, but Steve, uh, my co-host on the podcast, has got a 997 GT3, and he doesn't track his car. He doesn't well. He drives it reasonably hard, I guess, but he doesn't track it. <laughs> he had that, and the GT3 is prone to that failure, the coolant lines, um, where you have to get them pinned. Um, and I, I didn't realize the 996 was as well until, I, until you know, Steve told me, I think, um, yeah. just what you brought up then, to get them pinned. But that's a pretty, I mean, his failed just driving, you know, driving back, you know, in Sydney somewhere on the road, it just sort of failed. And he managed to get to the specialist to get it, you know, fixed. And it's a big job because the engine has to be dropped, um, and then they have to be pinned. So it seems to happen even on cars that aren't really taken to the track. I mean, it happened on his GT3. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's a, it's the world of cars, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. sometimes you, you can be extremely lucky and sometimes you unfortunately aren't. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the most, you know, I, I think widely documented, uh, I, I guess, challenge that the, the 996 Turbo Yes. And if, it, if it's like you were saying with with your your co-host, then um, those those are things. You know, how how do you look out for that? Well, um, there's there's interesting things about you know whether you see potential corrosion around the end of the pipes and things like that could be telltale signs that these things might be about to let go. Yeah, um, but the again, pink, right? If you start seeing pink, that's it. Yeah, that's basically so, it. Yeah. So that that could be you know one of those those signs to to look for, but uh, again you, you know it, it depends <laughs> how how yeah. unfortunately lucky you, you could be, but uh, yeah, it's hard to know. But it, it's a solid car. The nine the nine and six turbo with the med screw, like you said, it's 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 bulletproof yeah. almost. There's not a lot of sort of known documented issues apart from that coolant line thing, which is also on the GT3. Apart from that, I haven't really seen anything that's that's major. Oh. 
and, and, and that's really sort of what attracted me to the car. I mean, it, it comes with the traditional things that 911 suffer, you know, with the rads at the front and if you don't clean it out and, yep. you know, that, that sort of stuff. But uh, other, other than that, it, it's a pretty solid base uh, to, to work with. The suspension, like any uh, of the suspension component pieces, will wear over time. So you can do pre- preventative stuff uh, like any car, really. Um, if you're prepared to, you know, invest a little bit of money, knowing that then you're going to be, you know, quite sorted. Uh, but yeah, there's there's no, there's generally none of those horror stories of of catastrophic failures or anything like that. It, it's a pretty solid, reliable base, and uh, you you tend to get lots of, you know, enjoyable hours of uh, of driving from these. So you know, I've owned mine since 2017 now, and touch wood, you know, I've not had uh, any. Uh, issues the mot's that it's that it's had it's sailed through um you know you generally get the comments of hey this this car's looking great underneath which is unusual for <laughs> yeah so and yeah look, it, you know you've, you've done pretty well we're not in it for the money or even for the passion but you've done pretty well with the 924 and the, and the 996 turbo because you bought them just before everything started going crazy yeah yeah i look, you i i've got a great um you know ethos myself that you know car, cars are not an investment i've been around them a long time um I, i've seen people lose lots of money on cars yeah. and uh it, you should never walk in with the view that there's an investment to be had um if you're lucky then then great you know well done um that that's a, a good place to be but um for the masses for the general masses you know it's, it's the top one percent that are really the money makers and they're yes. way in the millions they're, they're gone but the, these types of cars it, it really should be for the enjoyment it should be for for the passion that you have of knowing something really is engineered fantastically well and if, it, if it's like me have amazing stories of how they were sort of brought to life and and then just either enjoy driving them uh, and equally enjoy working on them if if that's something that uh, takes your fancy because uh, I think both are great ways to enjoy uh, the brand Porsche. Absolutely, buy what you like, buy buy the car you want. Don't just chase the money. That's the main the main thing I think even today. Hey, what about the the nine nine six? Have you, you? It's got the full car graphic exhaust system, which is fantastic. I mean, that would sound amazing. Um, what else have you added? Have you added anything else? Have you upgraded the suspension, did you say, or have you upgraded anything else in no. the car? How's the interior? Always a bad wear point in 996s sometimes. Yeah, no, it, the, the Metropole interior level is holding up really well. Um, I have to say there's no, uh, you know, bad scuffs or anything like that. So it, it's uh, what I love about this one, and, and I don't know, um, you know, if other of your listeners sort of experience this as well but with with this particular one because everything's leather like i mean everything there isn't a part inside the turbo that i i can find that isn't leather in some way shape or form and it's got this sort of suede mm. type roof um so when you get in there's just this amazing smell and, and i think porsche do this really well it's just this amazing smell of porsche leather um thinking this is 2003 i mean it's like 20 years old almost and it still smells amazing when you get in um the car has had uh, all the wheels refurbished so it's the traditional turbo 18 inch uh, yep. alloys yep. with the, the 295s on the back um it just it looks the turbo just has a great look from the the rear you know the big haunches uh with the big turbo inlets on the side um i've had uh, a little bit of paint done 
which was just on the bonnet to bring that back to sort of original form and the front bumper as well. Uh, because like any of these cars, you know, when they're driven, they they tend to enjoy the, the stone chips. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, they do very yeah, quickly. So I've, I've had that brought back to the you know sort of original. Uh, what about spec. the what about that the black plastic lip, Al? I'm looking at your picture on yeah. Instagram. Is that a, is that standard on the X, on the yeah. Turbo S? Yeah. Well, the, the lip is, but um, a lot of a lot of owners, I think, um, go down the route of actually painting the the black lip as well. Oh, really. Yeah, because the black lip joins the sides where you have the black um, sort of seal uh, color as well that just uh, goes down the side of the, the car. Right. Um, so I've, I have seen turbos that have had the sort of side seals painted and the front uh, painted as well. So, How's your car sit on the road? Is it quite low? Are you, are you, are you yeah. bottoming out in the, on those back B roads in the UK? It, yeah, I mean, with the lip, you have to be a little bit careful of sort of the entry and exit to, to some places, just so you don't, um, you know, take that off. Um, it, it tends to be pretty good. Like, so I haven't played with the suspension. I haven't lowered it. I haven't changed it. Um, the guys at the, the shop have, have always said, you know, everything's in tip-top condition. You don't have to worry about anything. But I've, I've heard a lot of the stories, you know, from, from your uh, podcast as well. And, you know, a lot of... The, the views on modifications and better suspension for the 911s and in particular 996s. So I've always looked around at that and um, it, it might be something that I consider maybe this year, next year, just to, you know, take that next step. But um, yeah, pretty open to recommendations on that, you know, because I know there's so many different sort of setups that you can apply to these with different uh, makes as well. Yeah, it's not easy. Exhaust and suspension are the two hardest things, aren't they? At least your exhaust is sorted out. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I have to say I'm super chuffed with that. I didn't have to, you know, firstly fork out <laughs> the cash for that one. Exactly, car graphic. I mean, a great product. I really like their products, but yeah. expensive. Yeah, super expensive. And it's a switchable one, which is, it's nice. So it, it sort of sounds like the the normal 996 Turbo in, in guys, but when you open it up, it, it's, uh, and yeah, and if you hit the accelerator, it, it, it properly, uh, yeah, it causes a scene. <laughs> I bet it does. Yeah. Al, there's people there's people listening who are going, okay, I, I might want a 996 or I might want a 924. And, of course, we're like two different levels here. You know, we've got, you've got the 996 Turbo S and, you know, that's top of the range almost. You know, it is the top of the range dollar-wise. But what are the main – what is, you think, the key difference? When you're driving your 924 and then you go into your 996 Turbo S, what is the, the – not necessarily the key difference, but what is the, what is the best part of, of each car? you know, that complements each car, you think? The best feature of the 924, the best feature of the 996 Turbo S? I mean, the best way to describe the 924 really is is that iconic saying of man and machine. I, I cannot really say it any better than that. It, it really is. You, you are hearing everything working. You are a part of everything working. And the, the way they set those cars up, I mean, it, it's amazing. I've, I've taken pictures on... Uh, my Instagram about this, where you see where the engine is sat, which is behind, most of the engine is sat behind that that front strut. I mean, they were thinking good things back then in the 70s when this car arrived, even though they had very limited access to all the sort of things they wanted to do. It was sort of the VW parts bin. So yeah. where they position that engine, having the the thought of, Hey, this isn't going to be a front-wheel drive car, which originally is is the spec that VW wanted them to do. 
they said, we're going to make this rear wheel drive. We're going to hang the gearbox right out the back. And suddenly this thing, almost 50-50 weight distribution. And when you're sat in it, you just feel everything. I mean, you, you say about feedback through a steering wheel, you feel everything. I mean, you, you, you drive over a small stone, <laughs> you, you know you've done it. And you're so in control of all of that. It's amazing. I let one of uh, my good friends drive it the other day. Um, it, I just watched the smile instantly appear, you know, as, as he was going up and down through the gears. And, and it's it's by no means fast. I mean, it's what, 9.5, 9.6 seconds to, to 60. But man, yeah. you feel every mile an hour as you're going to 60 uh, working. So from that perspective, the 924 really is the raw feel. It's man and machine. You want something that you can throw around, feel in control of, and just smile from ear to ear then then that's the car um the 996 is just a different level it, it's you know it, it's becoming that uh, era of modern classics now you know the technology uh started to make comfort a, a real part of of what a car meant um it wasn't just that raw feel with a couple of seats thrown in you know comfort was there insulation was there drivability safety features became a big thing the 924 has no safety features. There's no ABS. There's no power <laughs> steering. There's no crash bars. Yeah, yeah. If you mess up, you're going down with the car. <laughs> so that crazy thing. So the 996 is more of a, you know, it, it cares about the passengers, but equally it gives the passengers just an amazing, exhilarating feel as you truly open the power of what, you know, a Porsche Turbo means. And if you've never experienced what a, a Porsche Turbo is, then, you know, get yourself in a 996 Turbo as the first stop because it really is epic, yeah. Yeah, it's a great car. I think I have heard, I, I think um, Alain from Belgium, Alain who's had a, he had a 924, he, 924 Outlaw he called it. Um, I think he said it, or maybe it was one of the other owners at Transaxles, that the feel who had owned 911s as well, I think it might have been, might have been Scott in, in the US, um, who have owned Transaxles and 911s and say the feel on the road through the twisties in a, in a 924 or a 944, is, is just as good as it is in a 911, the feel of it, even though it's not as fast. Like what you said, it's not as fast, but it, it still has that engineering. You still feel feel it on those curvy roads, on those mountain roads, how great it is. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you, you, when, I th- when I think about the cars that was up against, um, I, think there was a, I think it was a test against an RX-7 maybe back in the day that they yeah. did with that. Um, the very, very old Top Gear. Very old Top Gear. <laughs> Um, and you know the the Porsche really sort of set the the bench uh, back then. But most cars that you know around were sort of front wheel drive. They didn't care about where the engine was. It was sat over, over the front. Yeah, you know, yeah. There was there was some really great thinking with that car, and uh, the it, it really does tell when you sort of throw it into corners, and you think, oh my God, like I, I can feel this whole thing, and I can play with it, and I can feel sort of in control of every movement that's going on it really is uh, it's a great place to be and uh, i mean you... and from how you've explained both the driving experiences it sounds like a great two-car garage you know what i mean the, the turbo oh, is the 924 yeah. is just like excellent because it's two different experiences isn't it it's still porsche but it's so different to each other oh it's 100 percent. i mean i i go to these sort of classic car meets in the summer with the 924 and just love the sort of again the stories that you can talk about because not everyone is aware they go oh yeah 94 the poor man's Porsche you know it's the classic yeah. throwaway yeah. statement but actually when they start to understand the the history of of where it's born people are like quite fascinated like wow okay didn't 
didn't really put all that together. And, you know, and because now there's so few of them, yes. you know, I said at the beginning, 120,000 units. I mean, you, you're probably saying 110,000 are in the scrap heap. So <laughs> you know, that's probably. the crazy. Because they were misused, weren't they? They were like, because they oh, were so huge. cheap, they were just like yeah. modded out or misused or crashed or whatever, or just left to rust, basically left to rot somewhere. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, it's uh, terrible. And, that, and that's why they, they've sort of, I, you know, just in my short ownership from 2017, I've definitely seen sort of a change in the the views of, of, of you know, people towards the 94. It's sort of found its place. And, and that's really nice to see because it is, like I say, the iconic um, foundation of which the 944 and 968 were born. And uh, I think um, it sort of deserves its place in, in the history, um, like any of the other portions, yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the wheels, actually, before we get into your favorite drives. The yeah. wheels on your 924, are they the stock wheels? Are they the steel they stock wheels? Yeah, they're, they're nice, the aren't they? Yeah, they're really good. I, I, again, I've sort of toyed with this about, do I go a little bit more sort of Porsche and think gold wheels, um, five spokes? They're, they're the classic, uh, they're four uh, times 108 spec um, for those that are out there that, that know wheel specs. And um, the cars of the day, I think, you know, Fords, Peugeots back in the day use similar uh, specs, the four, four stud pattern. Um, but, you know, finding those types of wheels as a retrofit now is actually really difficult. And, you know, again, I've spoken to lots of um, sort of places, you know, where you say, okay, you've got the four stud pattern, do you have it in this size? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a bit bit off for us. And so I guess, you know, you could go custom made if, if you really want to go out there. But I quite like the sort of natural, that they've grown on me. I have to say, when I look at the car now, um, now that I've had it all resprayed, the decals put back on, it, it's sort of, fits nice and the car does sit lower than the traditional um i guess spec it's probably about 20 mil lower i think right it has a slight lowering at the front compared to the back you can lower the back on okay. on the torsion bar um so it's a, it's i mean these cars are low as well uh, you know if you've not ever experienced a 924 you 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 might be surprised how low they are um, mm. And equally, when you get close to them, they have so many similarities with the 911. So, you know, even the door shuts are solid. You know, it's like it's the way the cars were made back then. The tombstone seats, you know, they're yeah. the same as the 911. It was specced. Again, I've got the spec of it. It was specced with this, the sports steering wheel. So it's the three um, spoke steering oh, wheel. Okay. We found in the 911 back in the day as well. So it's. Um, there's lots of really cool aspects to, to the car that, um, yeah. you know, not great, until you it's, get, a, it's a great looking 924. I mean, I'm looking at your Instagram while, I'm, while you're talking, but it, even the side script on the side works really well. I love the wheels. The wheels are just so the simplicity of those wheels with, you know, not doing aftermarket wheels and just keeping those wheels with the black hub, you know, it just looks, it just looks, I mean, it looks fantastic. It really does look fantastic. The but only I thing, just, sorry, go the, ahead. Yeah, just I'd say the only mod that I've actually done on the car, and it was by sheer coincidence and luck that there was, um, I don't know if you've, you've heard of them, Jan Speed Exhaust. Yes, and I have. Uh, they were they were a big thing back in the 80s. I mean, like, hey, you got a Jan Speed? Yeah, I got a Jan Speed. And uh, 
I was I was looking around because I knew my exhaust had a hole in it, and I was like, "Oh, the, the usual suspect is uh, I think Danks are the, the the providers for for the ninety four and four fours yes. that you can get about three or four hundred quid, I believe." But um, I was doing a search, and there was this guy who, who said, "Hey, um, I've got an original centerpiece and a back box, so three quarters of the the exhaust for a Jan speed." Uh, which I bought um, new in like the eighties. <laughs> it's like really? crazy story that he's had in his garage, never used. All so wrapped up in the original packaging, and said, "Oh, yeah, I only want hundred quid for it." And I was like, "Yep, I'll have it." <laughs> Not just Fantastic. I grabbed it and fitted it, and it's got a twin exhaust, and it's just got. Honestly, there's a there's a little video I did of it, um, and I called it like the sound of the eighties, and it is absolutely the perfect sound for those growing up with the sort of cars back then. It is the perfect sound of the 80s. I just remember these Jan Speed exhausts. It's got a great little rasp to it. And uh, that's the only upgrade officially I've done on the 94, yeah. I'm definitely going to watch that one. I like your interior, though. It's like, it's two-tone your interior, is it? It's got a darker dash as well. I'm just... Yeah, so it's, it, it's the beige gray on the, the materials, but then they have the... It's like a dark brown. Um, that's nice. Which is on the the doors, but like all nine two fours, and again, as as you get to know how these cars were made, they have the classic um, uh, crack dash of of the day, and it like was nine elevens of the day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's sort of cars of the eighties, the way they used to make dashes and the yeah. type of materials and stuff. So if you left them in the sun and then cold, sun cold, and then suddenly, hey, where's this crack appeared from? Um, so you can get these fixed now. I, I've been, again, quite fortunate. I've got very, very minimal cracking in, in the car. So it's a bit of character I, I see it as. It, it hasn't really bothered me, um, but it's just sort of part and parcel of what you might uh, expect when you look at a 94, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think you want to fix everything, do you? You want to keep that character, you know what I mean? Because I was going to ask you about that before we get into your favourite drives. You, you said about getting the car resprayed, and we didn't really talk about it. Was that a big decision to make because how was the paint before you actually got the paint job done and when did you get it done how long ago yeah so i had it done i think it's about three three and a half years ago now so okay. it was it was one of the first jobs i actually put on the list to do because when i went to look at the car it it, it had um so it was it was peeling there was like lack of peel that was uh, in certain places which i expected i mean i i sort of in my mind knew that this this was the type of um expense that i was going to you know have to pay but equally i wanted the car that you know when people looked at it it looked you know pretty decent you know yeah. like wow okay this is this is nice so i um yeah so as long as the underpinnings were good like say no rust no you know major work that needed doing then i could give it to a friend who uh, was running a, a body shop and and i said right we're, we're going to go for it we're going to go for a full respray um, take it down to where you need to, you know, in some cases, if, if metal needed to be exposed, they, they did it, but it wasn't too bad like that. And, uh, we, we built it up with a number of coats, uh, number of, uh, base coats and, and that over and, uh, kept it in the original color that it left the factory. So Copenhagen blue, um, they got is it mixed it easy, up. Um, sorry, Al, is it easy to match the color these days with old Porsche colors? Are yeah, they I mean, the same or are they slightly different? Well, so the great thing about this particular one, and I think with many of the 924s, again, someone might be able to keep me real on this because it might be across the Porsches of, of sort of the 80s, it tended to be more solid colours. 
So there, there wasn't the metallics or the pearlescence or all those crazy flicks that you, you commonly get today. Um, so from a body shop perspective, when I was sort of, when we were talking about it, I said, it's, you know, and they looked at it and said, actually, it's solid code. We're good. We're, we're safe on this. We're, okay. This should be a pretty easy uh, route to take. So once they color matched um, the solid color, yeah, it was great. Came out perfect. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. We're getting towards the end. We always like to finish. Um, we always like to finish near the end of the podcast with your favorite drives. All the listeners want to know if they're coming to the UK, they're coming to um, London, they're coming to Hampshire. Where should they take their sports car, their 911, their hot hatch? <laughs> yeah. What um, are your favorite? What are your favorite roads in the UK or yeah. near, near where you live? Yeah. So I, I think it, you know it's it's probably quite well known that uh, sort of Wales uh, they call it the Evo Triangle is uh, <laughs> is a big uh, is a big uh, sort of attraction for, for people in fast cars. Um, but actually, Hampshire's got some great roads. So, you know, we um, we have like the New Forest, um, which is a sort of a you know national park down towards uh, the coastline. You know, you go down towards Bournemouth and uh, Portsmouth that way. And uh, they got some great, great, nice sort of roads that you can get into. You've got Bewley Motor Museum, which is uh, a great place where they have a lot of, uh, you know, classic cars, but equally brands, um, they have like Simply Porsche and Porsche Meats and all of the great brands that people can go to. So some great roads going down that way. Um, and you see a lot of like, you know, the, the classic sort of Saturday and Sunday drivers out. There's some great cafes that you can stop off, at, you know, and get coffee with other enthusiasts. So, yeah, some some really great roads in, in Hampshire heading down towards the coastline. Yeah, I did the, I did the drive to um, Goodwood from London. We have a place in, in like East London, Canary Wharf. Nice. And Nick, yeah. Nick, who was on the first owner stories, he um, he came pick me up, and we went to Goodwood. He's a member, and we drove from from Canary Wharf to to Goodwood. That was quite a nice drive, actually. Yeah. Um, the roads to Goodwood is very beautiful out there. I've never been. I've actually never been there before. That was the first time I've actually been to Goodwood. Um, but I'm hoping to go on the. I think it's 23rd of June, isn't it? I think the 23rd of June. I'm think I'm going with uh, with Nick and Barry, who used to, who's on a previous owner stories as well. So that would be oh, awesome. um, that would be fun. Festival speed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, you know, if you go sort of the back ways into to Goodwood, I think it's down through Petersfield and I think it's the South Downs and stuff like that. Yeah, some, some, some really great roads. Great yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I'm just going to tell the listeners again, go to um, Al's Instagram um, because, you know, there's so much to cover with Al's story and we haven't really covered everything that he's done. Um, so go to his Instagram. It's witty 924 um, and also his uh, YouTube channel where you'll find all the videos of, of everything that uh, Al's been up to. So that's Witty924 as well. And also podcast, you can just search on Apple Podcasts. It'll come up, Al? Yeah, no, yeah, any of the platforms I think it's on. So Spotify, all of those good things. So yeah, just Witty924 as well. Witty924, very easy to remember. All right, before we go, anything else you want to share with the listeners? No, I mean, look, it, it's... Uh, you know, before you sort of take the plunge into any of the, the classic Porsches, it's uh, it's always good to have a, a backdrop of how deep you want to get into, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, I, I recommend that, you know, you think about, you know, the costs and the effort and the time that you want to put into these things, um, but equally massively rewarding. And, uh, you know, you, you will have epic fun 
it's a heck of a good community as well around Fantastic these community. Uh, yeah. transactional Porsches as well that you can get loads of hints and tips from. So yeah, highly recommend it. You know, if you haven't experienced uh, that, then yeah, please have a look at it. I think it's great too how you you had nothing, you had no Porsches, and then all of a sudden you've got two. <laughs> That's the way to do it. You yeah. know, you've been waiting for that long. It's just like let me just get two. So we did, I never asked you about that actually before before we we close off. Um, future Porsches, future nine elevens. Is there anything else you've been looking at yeah. that you think can I have a three car Porsche garage or should I just move one on? Yeah, I I have looked quite hard actually at, at the Cayman um, just because, uh, you know, that I'm quite interested in sort of the different feels of the different Porsches, you know, so I'm in a transaxle, which is obviously, you know, very unique in its sort of setup. The 911, you know, historically is, is you know, the story of, of Porsche. Um, but the Cayman is quite an interesting proposition now in that, you know, it's, it's the mid-engine thing, isn't it? it it's yeah. like the, the, the true place that, you know, many say the engine should be for the sports car and all of that good stuff. And I've always been very um, drawn to the Cayman. I've, I've done a few track days in them and a few friends have had them and, you know, they've really enjoyed, like, the whole sort of owner experience with them. Um, the GT4s were very, um, you know, very interesting cars as they came out. And, and I just think, you know, now that they've got, the RS version of that. I mean, sort of Porsche have taken that to to the heights that it always deserved. I think, yeah, and uh, it, yeah, that that's probably something that might enter the garage this year. I just don't know how. Um, Which one, Al? Nine eight six, nine eight seven, nine eight one. I I think probably the early one. Nine eight six. Yeah, yeah, is is um, where I'd start. Um, I don't know. I just yeah, I. I I've just got that itch. There's that little itch that I just think mid-engine Porsche two seater. Yeah, it could be something that is worth having a look at. They're still um, reasonable prices, though, aren't they? In the UK. Yeah, yeah. Then you know you can you can find some really nice um, examples that uh, have great history. And and I know people like you know you know there's there's always this sort of maintenance uh, angle and you know what to look out for and you know there's again there's loads of documented stuff out there to to look at but yeah i think the cayman has definitely been quite high up on my list for for some time now yeah fantastic that's a good choice actually it's a good choice i always look at them as well because they are still reasonably cheap i mean if you want the s obviously you're going to pay a little bit more if you want an s and a manual of course the s and manual seem to fetch reasonably higher a lot a lot higher prices actually here in australia that's for sure yeah. i'm guessing it's yeah. the same in the uk as well they do yeah i think yeah the manual is always uh of that sort of extra appeal uh to, to those um although like you know i have to, I have to say because you know i've got the tip and i've, and I've got the manual in the 94 yeah. but you I have, have to been, get a manual wouldn't you in a cayman yeah well I've, i don't know i mean I've, I've been sort of all the good stuff around pdks as well you know oh, which right. then <laughs> it, it has you know because oh, okay. that that takes you down a different path as well with the type yeah, yeah. of you might go for that makes sense um, but they're epic as well, aren't they? I mean, you don't hear a bad word said about PDKs in general. No, um, no, they just keep getting better. Yeah. So, I, yeah. It, again, it's another juggling act. You know, I'm I'm sort of sat here thinking, and yeah, maybe I'll do an impulse buy again. <laughs> do it. Do it. Three car garage, even better. Yeah, I, I might uh, upset the family a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> 
Al, thank you so much. Thanks for um, thanks for being on Owner Stories today. It's been it's been fantastic. Thanks for uh, sharing your story and 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 coming on today. No, it's been excellent. Thank you so much, Michael. Really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I hope the listeners enjoy it. And uh, likewise, with some of the questions and answers that we covered, if they've got uh, some insight on some of those things that I I didn't know, then uh, yeah, please let us know. It'd be great. Yeah, and as I said before, go and have a look at Al's um, all of his social. Witty924, Witty924. So go to his Instagram, give him a follow, tell him you heard his story on Porsche Gould. Uh, YouTube, if you want to see all those videos of what he's been doing on his 924 and 996, right? There's a few 996 videos there, Al. Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So go and have a look at that. So Witty924 and also Al's got a podcast. He's very busy. You're very busy. To do to do a project car and to do three, <laughs> you know, Instagram, podcast and uh you know, YouTube, that's a lot, Al. That's a, that's a lot yeah. of stuff to do. Trying to keep myself busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, that's Owner Stories number 70, and that's Al coming in from uh, Hampshire in the UK with his 924, 80, 1984 Porsche 924 and his 03 996.2 Turbo S X50 package. Very, very special. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Porsche School Podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>